0: Hello and welcome back to the podcast, guys. My name is Jacob. I'll be your host. So r- I'm going to do things a little bit differently, probably from now on. I'll, I'll uh, probably do this and we'll see how it goes. But uh, recently I reached out to a buddy of mine and I asked him, what are some uh, disagreements you have with Christianity as a whole or if you wanted to be more specific, like what's something about the Catholic church you disagree with? Cause he's pretty, he's pretty critical of both. And, uh, we have some pretty good discussions about it. Um, you know, just in passing, but I'm going to go ahead and read his text for context. He knows about the podcast one. He knows I'm asked him these questions for the podcast so I could, make an episode out of it and two he wants to listen to it and come on the podcast at some point later on down the road so i'm not exploiting him or you know oh gotcha moment or anything like that but this is what he said I believe Jesus was probably a real person who was murdered, uh, who was murdered. I can say it's even possible that he was a God and sent to die for our sins. But once people get their hands on creating that literature, it's translated, interpreted and tainted with corruption. Catholics were killing people who didn't believe at one time in history. It could certainly be possibly real. It could also certainly be bullcrap. Unfortunately, the latter seems more probable. So there's a lot, uh, not, yeah, kind of, there's a lot to cover there. So first we'll go over, uh, we'll kind of do them just in order as to how he brought them up. But the first being that Jesus may or may not have been real. It's, It's possible, but, you know, I'm not... You know, he's not entirely convinced. And this isn't one that is unique to just, you know, my friend. This is, I think, unique, not unique. It's uh, something a lot of people might, might have the same line of thought or belief. Um, and we can say for a fact that Jesus was a real person and he did live. Just like how we can say Pontius Pilate, the procurator of Judea at the time, was a real man. He he did live. There are historical records of him being a real person. And just like we can say any of the Roman emperors who were emperors who lived were real men. Uh, the same can be said for Jesus because just like these other men and there being writings of them and records of them, there are non-biblical records of Jesus being a real man as well. One of those records comes from an early Roman historian by the by, uh, from a man by the name of Josephus and in his Antiquities of the Jews, um, he writes, now there was about this time, Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was the Christ. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men amongst us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at the first did not forsake him. For he appeared to them alive again the third day, as the divine prophets had foretold. That's super important because it he recognizes just about all of the Basic core beliefs of Christianity: that Christ was crucified under Pontius Pilate, uh, rose again on the third day, and um, what was the last one? Oh, and that it was foretold by uh, the prophets, and that he was he was a worker of, uh, he was a worker and a teacher. He did he did wonderful things. Um, and he had followers, and he drew over both Jews and Gentiles. All things that are mentioned and said in the Bible that are referenced and talked about by a Jewish Roman historian after the fact. There is also another, and Josephus isn't the only one to write, um, write about Jesus, or even, you know, briefly mention him. Uh, a man named Tacitus in AD 116 wrote, Consequently, to get rid of the report, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on the class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. Uh, Christians by the populace, sorry. Christus from who the name had its origins, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of uh, Tiberius at the hands of one of... of uh, Words are really hard, guys. <laughs> At the hands of one of our procurators, punches Pilate. Again, basic um, points are hit by uh, another man out who who's out uh, who's not a Christian, and he writes about this after the fact that Christ was crucified under Punches Pilate. And again, like I said, we know Punches Pilate was a real person. For the same reason why we know Christ was a real person. There are writings about him that are outside of the Bible. There are are records of him existing that don't solely exist inside the Bible. And there aren't really any scholars or historians today that will make the claim um, that he wasn't a real person. And if they do, I don't think they're taken very seriously in general. Or they just hold extreme animosity towards Christianity at large. The second part of his text, which was that, which essentially encompasses just the integrity of the Bible. Um, You know, I think he specifically said, I don't want to misquote or mischaracterize what he said, um, but he said, you know, once people get their hands on creating that literature, it's translated, interpreted, and tainted with corruption. End quote. So, first, I want to address the interpretation part. So, between the different denominations of Christianity, you're going to have uh, different interpretations. So, Catholics hold one interpretation, and Protestants hold another. And, and as far as Protestants go, you'll have Protestants that disagree with mainstream, mainline Protestants about certain interpretations because Protestantism at large kind of allows for self-interpretation, whereas Catholics believe the church holds the infallible rule on interpreting the meaning of the Bible. So that's not something that is only unique to Christians, though. Even in the time of Christ, there were Jews that disagreed with um, other Jews about how to interpret the Hebrew texts and the Hebrew Bible. Um, I mean, the Sadducees and the Pharisees disagreed with each other heavily on things. There is uh, Muslims today that disagree with how to interpret the Quran and, you know, what is to be followed and what isn't. You know, um, people disagree And that's not something that's solely unique to Christians. But it also doesn't disprove uh, the Bible. Because you got to remember, Protestants and the other sects of Christianity separated from the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church came first, and then the rest of them separated um, long after the fact. But... Um, back to the point: the Bible was originally written in three languages. Okay, it was written in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Um, these are languages that are very well understood and known today. Uh, Greek is still spoke, obviously in Greece. Hebrew is still spoke, and Aramaic is still spoke. Now, Aramaic is spoke um, not at large as like a national language, but there are communities throughout the Middle East. Uh, that still speak Aramaic. Um, and and uh, Hebrew is still commonly spoken in modern Israel. Um, and obviously, without this, ch- shouldn't have to go and say this, but obviously they're not the ancient dialects of Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek because languages change over time. Like, for instance, English. There are words we use today and phrases we have today that did not exist at the turn of the 21st century. Or even the 20th century. So languages change as time goes on. And that's that's nothing new. But as far as how we know what the texts say. And, and whatnot. That's a tradition that was passed down for generations. And that hasn't been lost. And furthermore to the point. We have ancient manuscripts of both the Old and the New Testament so for instance for the Old Testament we have uh, manuscripts they're called the Dead Sea Scrolls but we have ancient manuscripts um, of uh, here let me hold on let me read this real quick sorry this comes from it came from the Israeli um, uh, Israeli Museum in Jerusalem. Uh, And the Dead Sea Scrolls contain uh, biblical texts, apocryphal, and uh, sectarian texts. Uh, But as far as the biblical texts go, uh, there are about 200 copies of the books of the Hebrew Bible in there. And they were written in Aramaic and Greek. We also have copies of the New Testament And this comes from the Bible Archaeology Report. I'll link both of these down in the description so you guys know I'm not just pulling this out of anywhere. But uh, to date, we have over... 5,800 Greek manuscripts of the New Testament with an outstanding 2.6 million pages of biblical text. Some of these manuscripts are small and fragmentary. The average size of the New Testament manuscript is about 450 pages. Again, and those were written in common languages for the time. Uh, Aramaic, Hebrew, and Greek. So, and like I've stated Earlier, the we we know how to read these languages and they know how what they say because this is it's tradition to pass on those languages and to pass them down. And if you compare what is written in the New and Old Testament today in a modern Bible, if you go and pick up a Bible and then compare them to what is written on these manuscripts, you get an almost identical match. It's also important to note that. We live in a time in history where you can Google um, a Bible translator and it'll have on one side English and on the other side, if you want it in ancient Greek, it'll translate it to ancient Greek. If you want it in Hebrew, it'll translate it to Hebrew or Aramaic, it'll translate it to Aramaic. It's not corrupted. I mean, people for a long time, really since the Protestant Reformation, um, Christians have disagreed on certain interpretations of the Bible, but none of us have ever disagreed that oh, it's it's completely corrupt and we need to get rid of it and And no Christians are making that claim because it's just not true. We know what was written today, and what we have today is the same as what was written. Or is the same as what was first written. And we can say that so confidently because we have people like St. Irenaeus, and in his writings, he was an early church father. Um, He quotes the Bible over a thousand times in all of his writings. And there are other early church fathers who quote the Bible several thousand times throughout the course of their writings And you can compare what they, you know, their quotations from the Bible to what we have today. And it's a perfect match or a near perfect match. So the whole interpretation thing, though, doesn't discredit and disprove what we have and know as the Bible today. um, Because it's very small things that Catholics and Protestants will disagree on, like single words or phrases that are used and they don't change the meaning of the Bible at all. It's just we disagree on on, on very specific, like, m- I don't want to say minute because they're not, but very specific things. But moving on to the second part of his text, though, I believe what he's referring to is more than likely the Inquisition. Um. I'll go ahead and briefly touch on it since it was brought up, but I'm probably going to come back and do a deeper in depth kind of look at what the inquisition was and, um, and whatnot. And, and possibly even the crusades. Cause I, it, he didn't really specify whether or not he was referring to the crusades or if he was referring to, um, the inquisition or the inquisitions, um, so I'll probably come back and do another episode on those. But in a book written by a um, University of uh, Wisconsin professor, I believe his name was, is um, Madison. What is his first name or his last name? Oh, it doesn't say. Um He writes in one of his books, uh, the best estimate is around 3,000 death sentences were carried out in Spain by inquisitorial verdict between 1550 and 1800. There is a wild claim out there um, by secular uh, individuals who will say that about 50 million people were killed during the Inquisition, which is wild because the population of Europe I think at the time maybe was about 90 million so over so for 50 million people to die in in the course of the the Inquisitions would be really insane so we know that's wrong because the amount of people to be killed in that span of time would have generational effects to it that would be able to be seen to today. Um, but we know it's not true. A lot of these people that come up with these claims are doing it out of sheer animosity towards the church and hatred. But the best guess is about 3,000 deaths. Now, the church has always taught that any loss of life is tragic. Um, and it should be noted that it's not uncommon for what the church did Uh, during the Inquisition um, which was uh, laws were based around the faith so heresies were punishable by death or could be punishable by death depending and that's not something that's just unique to Christianity that's something that um, every ruling body kind of did in the ancient world and in the medieval world I mean for instance um, in in areas that uh, Islam was the do- dominant religion in the governing, you know, body, they imposed strict laws on non-believers, um, unfair and unjust laws, like forcing them to pay a tax and, f- you know, telling them that you can freely practice your religion, but it has to be done in private and you're not allowed to do it in public. You're not allowed to build new churches. You're not allowed to repair your churches. You're not allowed to do X, Y, and Z. That's That wasn't an uncommon practice for cultures um, of the time period. I'm not saying any of it is correct, but it's certainly not something that is solely unique to Christians. Now, the last little thing I'll go ahead and say on the on the subject is is this. So this comes from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 2298. In times past, cruel practices were commonly used by legitimate governments to maintain law and order, often without protest from the prote- uh, pastors of the church who themselves adopted in their own tribunals, the uh, prescriptions of Roman law concerning torture. We're at a bowl. Regrettable as these facts are, the church always taught the duty of the cl- clemency and mercy. She forbade clerics to shed blood. In recent times, it has become evident that these cruel practices were neither necessary for public order nor in conformity with the legitimate rights of the human person. On the contrary, these practices led to ones even more degrading. It is necessary to work for their abolition We must pray for the victims and their torturers. So I'm not going to sit here and try and defend the Inquisition because horrible things happened. And horrible things happened because people in positions of power will abuse that power and use it to do horrible things. And again, that's not something that is solely unique to Christianity or to Catholics you can look just about anywhere and anyone who's in a position of power regardless of their religion is capable of doing horrible deeds but that doesn't disprove the teachings of the church and um, her legitimacy as the church founded and started by our Lord Jesus Christ so so Hopefully this was found uh, to be helpful for maybe some of you who have heard some of these claims or maybe I hopefully I was able to answer some questions too. let me know if I should touch on maybe the Inquisition Inquisitions deeper um, and the Crusades one or the other or both. Who knows? But I hope you guys all have a wonderful day and I'll see you guys next time. God bless.